Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Stas Greenberg with me here today. Stas, I really appreciate your time. And I'm going to make sure to have your links directly in the show notes. But we are he is the founder or co-founder of Vision and Beyond, a multifamily real estate investing firm with a portfolio of 250 million and 2,500 multifamily residential units under management. And you've done this primarily all in the past three years. Is that correct? The majority of it, yeah. Started in the beginning of 2018, but really picked up on the larger scale in the last three years. So the, you must have a story there. And, and if you can, can't tell, you have a bit of an accent. Uh, you know, we can we can compete on accents here, Stas. You know, I'm I'm up by Fargo, North Dakota, so my accent comes out pretty thick on occasion. But uh, could you kind of give us just kind of a summary of your background and how you found your way to real estate investing. I don't want to blow the whole time you ha we have here, but your story is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born, actually, the, the accent is a combination of backgrounds. I was born in Ukraine and uh, I moved to Israel when I was six years old in 1995. And uh, I then relocated to the States at the beginning of 2018, at the end of 2017, after investing in the U.S. market since 2011. I've been doing multiple investments while I was an IDF officer and doing my uh, law school and uh, educational stuff. And that was part of the education, investing and having some painful lessons along the way of that uh, people that invest from very long distance that are relying on syndicators and uh, a whole lot of third parties are learning early on on their journey in real estate. So we learned the painful lessons. We didn't get scared because of them. We just uh, sharpened the way. When I say we, I mean myself and Peter, my partner. And uh, we just sharpened the way and tried to learn the lessons as we go and uh, to continue swinging. And uh, in 2018, the beginning, we started... Uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, from uh, small platforms do doing uh, single families, four units, uh, and smaller type multifamily projects, uh, kind of all of it, A to Z, distressed properties, then uh, renovating them, then managing them, and uh, trying to do all by ourselves, and uh, then started surrounding ourselves with good people to expand the operation and to build some systems to be able to scale that. And uh, today we are where we are, where you described. Yeah, one of those things that you've mentioned there is that you, you started off in smaller rental properties. Did you start in single family and work your way up, or did you, did you start right into multifamily investing? So we started doing the three main focuses. One is single family flips, kind of buy, renovate, sell. Another mm -hmm. section was uh, the single family rentals uh, to students, kind of student housing around the mm -hmm. University of Cincinnati. And the third route was multifamilies, which actually the first 
multifamily deal we did was a 57 unit portfolio of uh, three properties and uh, this is how we started and then we grew from there and we over time understood that in order to to have an efficient operation, we need to scale. We need to have more and more properties to manage to be able to justify a management company, to be able to improve the way we renovate, to be able to improve the way we buy construction materials. And uh, the answer was always scale, scale to solve more problems and while trying to get to efficiency. Well, you kind of done this in a very short amount of time. What are some of the things that you you, what steps did you take to make that initial leap when you decided you had to go and focus on the multifamily? So the first step we understood is that we need to focus really well on finding the deals, on finding the right kind of deals. So that was the first employee in the company, was a guy we brought with us from Israel to do relocation. He was uh, in Israel working in the like intelligent forces uh, internal uh, Israel Homeland Security stuff, and we told them we needed to focus on finding deals instead of instead of terrorists. You need to find sellers and uh, mm-hmm. and convince them without uh, without applying any pressure. And uh, we kind of started this way, and then we we knew every time we saw that something is taking too much of our attention, too much of our focus. There is a problem we can't crack that we need to bring someone on board to help us with it and to delegate. And uh, we've added another employee, another employee, and we tried from the beginning to really do do it all, to, to really manage the renovations, to manage the properties. We were leasing the apartments ourselves. We were kind of driving in a car with two uh, binders and a printer and uh, was proud of being able to open a management company in 15 minutes in Starbucks. And uh, over time, we had to provide and build better systems. Is your primary market still Cincinnati today or do you have you expanded your footprint? We have expanded all over, pretty much all over Ohio to Dayton and Columbus. We have expanded to uh, Kentucky with uh, Lexington and Louisville. Uh, Indiana with kind of a greater Louisville market with New Albany, Indiana. And we have expanded to Houston, Texas in the last 12 months. Okay. You're, it sounds like you're taking a very planned approach to this as you continue to expand. Um, yes, we are still looking into a very concentrated focused operation. I would not buy one one deal off now in uh, Denver or one deal off in Jacksonville. Uh, I personally moved to Houston in order to create the Houston expansion. My partner, Peter, is still living in the Midwest with the Midwest operation. And we're trying to... It's a very hands-on approach on the management of real estate. And uh, for us to scale to another new market, it's going to take an ability to scale in the market. For example, if I can buy a portfolio of 1,500 units in Jacksonville, then we will consider to open this another market because for us to open a new market takes to hire the people, to build the infrastructure, to uh, hire the uh, renovation crews and everything. We're not uh, we're not trying to rely on third parties and to be fully dependent. Right. So you also have a, a, a bit of a background when it comes to the military. I mean, you've even won 
awards associated with your your time with the Israel Israeli army. Has any of those skills that you learned in that situation, in that environment, been able to apply directly to your real estate investing? So actually, yes. And uh, we it's part of the culture we created for the company where we created a, comp- a, a, a culture of we are combining a pretty unique combination between retired Israeli company commanders uh, we, together with the American wisdom and ability to create uh, good structures and systems. And so we have executives that are American with a lot of experience, with 25, 30 years of experience. And together with that, we're combining uh, retired company commanders that are young and hungry and solution-seeking and uh, and people that were in situations where they, you have to give a solution. You can't say, I can't do that. You can't say uh, this is uh, too, difficult, too difficult or too complex. And uh, we were able to kind of combine the best from the two worlds in uh, creating this uh, very, very well solution-seeking operation where... We'd say there is a problem. We don't know how to crack it. We can sit down and think together and uh, we can start putting solutions in place and being creative. And uh, by next week, we have an execution. So uh, in Israel, we also created, because we saw that it was a successful project that we did with the retired company commanders, and uh, that's kind of defining the DNA of the company, we have created in Israel a foundation that helps retired company commanders to find their way after the army service uh, and they're in their first step in uh, into the social world. We're not only hiring them for our company, but we have 900 of those guys uh, that we are helping them get recruited into larger organizations that will understand that it's this manpower is unique. This manpower has leadership. Leadership matters. And... Uh, Leadership is uh, could have a very good influence on companies and corporates and uh, kind of to raise their stake instead of them uh, retiring the army at the age of 27, 28 and starting their social life way behind everyone because they don't have formal education and they don't have formal professional experience. And therefore, they were for a long time overlooked or not seen as a very possible positive resource. But... Uh, we have quite successfully proven otherwise. Well, you, since you were on this on this uh, part of the conversation, you also have a foundation to help Ukrainian refugees as well, right? In, heading to Poland, is that correct? So, so it actually is the same foundation that we did okay. for the retired company commanders. But what we told them is that when we're gathering such a talented, strong group of individuals. It's not just going to be you come in, you're part of this luxurious club and we just uh, help you. It's also a, a foundation that in its DNA will be there whenever we're needed, wherever we're needed. And when we see a social cause to be able to intervene and to use uh, not such a high budget, but uh, we can create a very strong positive effect. And we're not uh, scared of any situation after being where we've been and where we're served, then uh, we'll be able to help. So whenever the situation started in Ukraine, it felt to us like it's a crazy situation, very unjustified, very, uh, very bad. And we knew that there is a, a lot of fear associated with the war and a lot of people will not be willing to cross the border and to go help 
and volunteer uh, where needed. All the countries are happy to send uh, money and resources, but not personally to go and help uh, refugees. And uh, we felt like that's an area we can influence. So we started sending uh, 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 like uh, delegations of company commanders to help with that. And we started from the Pol- Pol- Poland border with Ukraine and uh, helping refugees with, with what they need in the refugee camps and crossing the border and helping with logistics and uh, bureaucracy and uh, even carrying their stuff sometimes and waiting in lines and, uh, and si- simple things. And uh, over time, we also crossed the border and went into Ukraine and uh, met some leadership there and saw how can, we can be helpful and, and help. Right. Yeah, it's, it sounds like some very important work. I mean, and, and it's kind of interesting that you've taken some of these resources and, and applied them in this way. You know, uh, I, I have to send everybody to the show notes one more time so that uh, you can learn more about Stas and his team. Uh, it's Vision and Beyond is the name of the company. And I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes as a clickable link. So uh, take a look there. So Changing the conversation back to the real estate investing stocks, you know, I know it's a relatively your growth is kind of compressed and in a short amount of time. But with all of this hindsight now, you're in multifamily investing. Would you have started in the same way with the fix and flipping and the single family homes or would you have tried to jump directly into the multifamily? So it's a it's an interesting question because in in one perspective i would not want to change anything about my journey including uh, the the worst mistakes that i've made including the most painful lessons that i had because it all le- led me to know what we know today and to uh, be able to build systems that are uh, that have within them solutions to those bad situations so on that on that aspect i wouldn't change anything but then on the more pra- practical application, uh, maybe I would want to change some things. Maybe I would want to start earlier working as a, as a fund and raise fund one earlier on uh, and grow by fund structure rather than deal by deal basis, uh, which I have done more than 120 deals on a deal by deal basis, which has a lot of uh, exhausting aspects to it because you're always... As, a, as the developer investor, you're always in this triangle of pressure between the seller, the lender, and the, the investors that need to provide the, the capital in order to source the deals. And the, the lender wants the money to be there ahead of time in order to capitalize it. The seller wants you to close quickly with a high certainty of closing while you are in an uncertain situation yourself and you're trying to figure it all out and you're trying to do your due diligence process and you're trying to do everything else. So if, if we could earlier on start with a structure where, you know, you are raising investment in a dry powder type solution where you have capital that you can work with and then you can have higher certainty of execution earlier on, uh, that, that's probably I would do differently. Hmm. So, you know, you, you talked about the syndication now uh, regarding that. Was that something that you had to get kind of your mindset right in order to tackle? A lot of people may not t- touch the concept of syndication for a while. And there's, it seems to be kind of a, a jump in itself. So I, it's definitely a jump. It's a big jump. And uh, it's a big responsibility. 
and it requires a lot. But on, but on the other side of it, if you want to do real estate and you want to be successful uh, and you start with nothing or as we started with less than nothing, uh, it's very hard to work without syndication. So you need some capital to be able to perform. So you need some people to believe in you and, and uh, support you through this process that you need to be able to convince on the one hand, but then you also need to be able to be responsible towards them on the other hand and uh, be very accountable for what you're promising and what you're delivering and being able to sometimes eat the difference and take responsibility for the difference to make sure your inpo- your investors are happy and their capital is safe and they're uh, and you're not hurting them by making your mistakes and that if it's a professional personal risk you took upon yourself and it's not uh, directly something that is fair to put on them as a risk that you need to be able to be accountable for it so you know you mentioned you had to find those initial investors willing to to make the jump with you what type of information did you have to start to put together for them in order to I wouldn't say necessarily convince them, but provide them or arm them with enough uh, information and justification to, to make that jump with you. So it's, you need to put together and be as transparent as you can with all the information and the details you have. And why do you believe that your uh, business plan, your plan for execution is doable, is practical, which is it's a combination between the a basic market data that you can get from uh, at the beginning from agents brokers and uh, and other resources you have in the mar- in the market including some technological platforms and then also your personal vision why do you think this deal today is not fulfilling the the possible potential that this deal could have so you're sharing with them your vision you're supporting it by market data and by market analysis and uh, and then you're explaining why you are the person that will be able to execute this vision into reality. Why are, how exactly are you going to renovate? How much is it going to cost? Why do you assume that? What happens if something goes bad? What happens if timelines are not matching? And, uh, and uh, start from there. Eventually, you need people to believe in you and to see that you're uh, honest, that you have integrity that you are able to take responsibility if something goes south and that you are uh, you know walking on earth that you're not flying with optimism somewhere in the sky earlier you also mentioned having systems and processes in place uh is that something that uh, you planned early on to to make sure that's possible or that you you did have those people and systems in place and, and if so, what were some of those processes that you initially focused on? I think as a mindset from the beginning, starting on, we knew, and it's very important to, if you want to start a company and you want to start growing it, uh, in today's culture, it's very easy to think short term. I just want to make a good deal. I want to make a quick flip. I want to have a successful sale. I want to have success there. I want to raise $100,000. I think in the mindset, we said we're not going to look at things this way. We understand that to build a very successful, good business takes a couple decades and that we want to build a forever company. That's our vision, to build a company that could stay there 120 years. And therefore, today we are absolutely the opposite of it. 
how do we try to over time build some systems and close some gaps how do we build the right company culture what do we want the people to kind of look like how do we want the people to operate how do we want to the people that are getting into this dna of the company uh, uh, act uh, take responsibility be accountable what are the values we want to put to it and then start building systems knowing that that the the worst as you start building the company the the most urgent system that you can build is the one that you're experiencing the more the most pain from so if we started at the beginning and started managing multifamily and the first multifamily was uh, really really we bought a, hor- a horrible building a building that had like water penetration and floods every day and tenants problems and leasing problems and it was really a rough rough building So we started trying to uh, solve problems as they are from the most critical one, from the most urgent one, the one that takes us the most time. And uh, over time, try to improve it, understanding that you cannot build a, a, a system of Apollo or Blackstone in, in one day, understanding that it takes 50 years to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need to, every time, take a small step towards it. Do you currently focus on that those value add opportunities then you you talked about this one building now that it sounds like a lot of problems or is that the opportunities you're typically focused on or are you looking at what's your focus on now so that used to be the type of buildings those are the buildings we did kind of a boot camp on the the worst experiences but the most uh, the fastest learning curve uh, today we're looking into properties that are uh, Over a hundred units that's our main focus over between a hundred to five hundred units per complex we're looking to have people that we the, that we can put on site that will be directly employed by our management company we're looking to buy properties that are in distress but uh, and, and have potential for enhancement but we're not necessarily today looking for the most horrible properties because we We want to work with solid financing going into those larger deals so you need to be able to present a picture to a reasonable in, a lender to to be a part of the transaction and not to go to you know try to evict everyone and try to start from scratch on a 500 units it's mm-hmm. not a feasible plan today uh, and uh, trying to there's a lot of room in those in this niche of multifamily and Uh, for improving properties there are a lot of properties that are not managed well there's a lot of properties that are managed by third parties that are not doing doing a good so a good solid job for the owners and the owners are out of town out of country there's a lot of properties like that that have not taken the real effort to truly improve them that companies bought them or investors bought them and they were trying to kind of put a uh A lipstick or a pig and try to then either sell them or refinance them and manage them over time but the reality is a lot of times it doesn't go well in the strategy like that and then those properties uh, need to sell and for a very long time it did work for people because the cap rates were kept com- uh, compressing and the market was going up and everything was was beautiful but it's not like that anymore and uh, it's time for the people with a strong you excellent operation to thrive and the people that were doing things halfway hoping for the market to keep going up is uh, it's the time where they're getting in in a more distressed 
situation. How has your underwriting changed now since the market has changed so much? Well, unfortunately, for quite a while now, it, it changed to absolutely nothing. It's changed to every deal we had in the pipeline, we had to drop or walk away from or uh, uh, get. Uh, it just doesn't work. We've been for the last six months shooting at a moving target with the increasing interest rates that are not only changing the 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 how expensive how expensive the money is also the the inflation is hurting the real estate world the insurance prices are going through the roof and the, the interest rates rise is also uh, on the back end hurting your exit cap rate estimation right when you're underwriting so if you cannot underwrite on the exit cap based on five cap because it, it is not realistic today then uh, then it's really ruining every possible deal that you can have on the pipeline right now uh, until the market gets to a place where sellers, uh, people that own properties get into those distressed situations and will be actually willing to sell for the, for the relevant discount. It takes time for a correction like that to sink in the market. And uh, for people to realize that they're either going to sell for a certain price or they're not going to sell and they're going to be stuck and they and their loans are coming due and their uh, term is kicking or their principal payments is kicking as well. And they have to sell before it's too late and try to walk away with something. And uh, I think the market is headed this way. Hmm. So in the process now, your, your syndication is still going strong. How do you, how do you, uh, how does somebody know that they might be a good fit to approach you for for some passive investing? Um, I think that we are uh, we are looking for uh, investors that could invest a more significant amount. Uh, we're only raising over one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars to be an investor with us. Uh, we're just not trying to be as we're trying to be heavy. Uh, operational uh, focused and not to have 10,000 investors that we need to report to and then mm-hmm. uh, kind of lower our quality of either operation or reporting and having a much less personal approach. So that on the one hand. And uh, on the other hand, uh, I think that people that want someone who works for them and, and really is not a just a financial investor, but uh, truly is an operational and uh, someone who's going to be responsible for A to Z. I have no one else to blame. So you is it fair to say you primarily work with accredited investors then? For the most part, yes. We have yeah. some room for non-accredited, but for the most part. Sure. Now, just to remind everybody, Stas Grinberg, uh, Vision and Beyond Capital Investments, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But Sas, this has been a great in, uh, chat. Uh, I hope you'll consider coming back again. But before I let you go, I warned you I had some rapid fire questions for you. I hope you can answer. Yeah, shit. So here's your chance to bust a real estate investing myth that you might have seen on late night programming. You know, it's a get rich quick scheme, right? Uh, yes. It's get rich, <laughs> get, get rich quick. Get uh, get rich without any capital. You know, without any money. Um, any any kind of uh, kind of promise that is trying to sell a dream, uh, even the concept of just passive investing, I don't. I think that's a myth by itself. I think mm. that even even the fact that you're investing capital and you're not necessarily working for it as your primary focus, 
I still, you think, need to be very responsible for your capital and you need to do the right diligence that you can do as a private person to fly and see the property, for example, to uh, take the time to study, to take the, the time to do the research, to ask the hard questions sometimes after a quarterly report and not just uh, meeting a person, seeing a nice presentation, shaking hands, sending a money and hoping for the best. I think that that's not a good strategy of uh, the, the real good passive investor is someone who understands he shouldn't be passive. He needs to be uh, involved and responsible in, uh, for his decisions. Sure. That's that's great advice. Um, what book would you recommend everybody checking out or what are you reading right now? So I think uh, one book that I would recommend uh, to anyone who wants to be involved in any uh, kind of small or big business aspiration is uh, Good to Great by Tim Collins. Uh, that would be one. And uh, another one I really love, probably my favorite book of all times is The Fountainhead. Uh, Ayn Rand. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I can't, I can't stress that enough. I, you know, I, I've, I've heard people uh, quote Ayn Rand uh, a lot, but very few people have actually sat down and read those books. Yes, and truly understand them deeply. Yeah. Um, it is a time commitment. Warn people now. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. What was your biggest real estate investing mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? I think the biggest uh, mistake I've made was uh, to invest from distance with uh, investors that I bring to the table and kind of being able to promise people things without personally seeing them and being on the ground and be being local to the real estate. Uh, we bought a commercial building in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it's like an office building and it was a bad, bad investment. And it was everything on paper looked amazing. The price per square foot, the area of the office, the, the demand for office space in the, in the, in the area, everything looked, looked absolutely phenomenal, but there was a piece of local knowledge that was missing. Uh, it was that this building has a stigma in this uh, area and locals knew that, that whatever business is going into this building is going under. It's been like that for years and it's not going to change. Everyone knows in some commercial area, there is this one business that changes ownership, ownership, mm -hmm. you know, every six to 12 months. And uh, th this building had a stigma and uh, we bought it. We thought we're lucky from 7,000 miles away, and we put in a lot of family and friends and uh, and good people that trusted us that didn't know much that didn't know much about the research they need to do, and uh, it was a horrible mistake. And uh, we it was a huge crisis for us, for me and my partner, and we it we weren't even the owners of the company. We were working for the companies as, as investor relations managers. But we took personal responsibility. We gathered them together. We told them what happened. We told them what was, what went off. And we told them that because they could not prevent it as investors, it's a personal risk. It's not a business risk. It was uh, something that could be very easily prevented if we would do our job with a higher responsibility. And therefore, we owned, we owed them this money personally. And it might take two or three years to pay them off because we have no money. Uh, but uh, we're going to pay them back every penny. And we did. It took us two and a half years. But it was a very, very painful lesson for us, which after that lesson is when we understood that 
there's probably good opportunities to do real estate. There's pro- it's probably uh, an idea that could work. It just needs to be done right from the ground with integrity and responsibility and being able to control the process and to not make people promises based on stories that we hear, but to make promises based on knowledge and data. Mm-hmm. Well, if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? There's a lot. Uh, I think that uh, I think in a in a on a positive note of that, I think that a significant, serious army service or just a jo- challenging journey is a good ju- journey for self development. That's on the positive note, and I think that I got a lot from that. And uh, on the negative note, I think that a piece of advice for investing that I got from one in from a father of an investor that didn't invest in the in this very bad deal was the father he came to his father and told him about the deal and he said i don't know anything about the deal don't tell me any details if a bank is not investing i'm not investing if a bank is investing i'm gonna put my money into it and i don't mind that you invest more it's just something that you cannot verify the story and you can hear a lot of stories but if it's a good, real transaction in the United States, it's going to be supported by a serious bank. And therefore, that's a good enough protection because a bank knows how to protect his money and it increases the chance of the smaller passive investor to protect his capital. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, we switched spots here for a second. Yes. There we go. If you could give your, get, everybody that's listening is looking to get into real estate investing and multifamily is kind of an aspirational uh, thing for, for everybody, frankly. You know, we all start off with wholesaling maybe and then move our way up. But could you give everybody that's listening one tip or trick or something they could implement today to have a direct impact on their business? I think that. Um, one tip that they could implement on their business is to try to, before you outsource something, to try to do it for yourself. I think that's the one main trick that helped me build my business because today in some areas where I'm super strong and hands-on and and controlling, I can delegate and use third parties the right way. I can negotiate with a third party when I know what it really takes to perform their job and what value I really need from them and how to truly negotiate with them. I think that walking into real estate, the easiest thing is to just hire a contractor, is to just let him. Also, when he's asking you, should I buy the materials? You should just tell him yes. Tell him you buy the materials, of course, because why would I know better than the contractor how to bring the materials? And there's, it's very easy to say yes to a third-party service, which is okay eventually to use, but first try to do it yourself. Try to put your head into cracking the what it takes and making the mistakes when you're responsible for it. Uh, today, I can hire third-party contractors because I know that I have people on staff and I have mechanical divisions and I have plumbing companies and electrical companies that are that we bought in-house and now they're working for me. So now I can hire someone who is a third party because I know how to negotiate. I know how to speak the language. I know how to uh, guide them. And I know that that they will not... I I also know how to appreciate their work better when they're doing their job right uh, because I know what it takes. 
and uh, kind of walking in, even starting from small, try first to, if you have two, two properties, try to manage them. Try to speak to the tenants. Try to research it, understand it yourself before you let the management company tell you how everything is done. Yeah, that's some great advice. Well, uh, Stas, uh, one more time, it's vision and Ben, what was it? Could, and I'm beyond. Sorry. Vision and beyond. For some reason, I it, it, I drew a blank there. So check out that link in the show notes. I'll make sure to have that as a clickable link so you can find Stas and his team and see what he's up to. But Stas, is there a question or concept you wished we would have co- covered here today? Um, no, I feel like it was... Uh... Very well covered. Well, I appreciate it. You're welcome back. I hope you'll take me up on that, and uh, but we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. I uh, was happy to be on board. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.